You are now listening to the Flurry Podcast, hosted by Marquise Rawls. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? I am very tired right now, and it's it's pretty cold in New York right now. It's been raining almost all day, but I told myself I will record an episode. So, Flurry Podcast episode number uh, 21, I'm going to start off with... Jose Cepeda versus uh how do you say this guy's name? Baron Chick. Baron Chick Check Chick Chick Check. But that fight, fantastic fight of the year candidate. They traded eight knockdowns in one fight. When's the last time you seen that happen? I don't think I've ever seen two fighters fight and they trade eight knockdowns in one fight. But this one, they did. They both showed impressive will to keep going. It's definitely the knockout of the year. I don't even think it's... It's not even close. There's no other candidates for knockout of the year that's as impressive as this. It's not even close. Knockout of the year. It's a memorable fight. And one that could propel Zapata to stardom. But I think there's going to be somewhat of a different take on how people are going to view Zapata after this fight. Now, like I said, it was a great fight. Both of them show a lot of tough grit and will. But I think that people are going to start looking at Zepeda as he looks very vulnerable and beatable. Because he got dropped a few times. He was getting hit with some clean, very clean shots. And it doesn't seem like he has a very tough, very tough chin like that. Now, Baron Check, I don't know too much about Baron Check. Maybe he has this out of the world uh, type of power in his hands or maybe he's just a regular average puncher but either way Zapata looked a little vulnerable and I think that's how a lot of other boxers are going to look at it they're going to see he's vulnerable and they're going to they're not going to be so scared to fight him they're not going to be too afraid to challenge him to a fight great fight great win but let's just see how how it goes moving forward with him Next news is Devin Haney has a fight against Gamboa, which I sort of don't even get this fight. This fight doesn't really make sense to me because Gamboa just lost to Javante Davis, which was honestly, it, it was kind of a sloppy fight. I, I'll be 100% honest. I like Davis, but this was a sloppy, sloppy fight. And this is basically a fight, no disrespect to Gamboa, but this is a fight that he's supposed to lose. And is Gamboa like a measuring stick for 135ers? Because you had Tink Davis fight him. I remember Terrence Crawford really got his name up uh, when he fought him at 135. Now you got Devin Haney fighting him. I think Gamboa is like the measuring stick for people at 135. But the thing about it is Gamboa, he, I don't think he's really that good anymore. Like he's not trash. He's not all the way trash or garbage or like a regular journeyman. He still has the experience. He still has uh, certain things about him that's just like muscle memory to him. But he's not like no borderline elite. I don't think he's good enough to even really compete against a lot of these top guys at 135. But Devin Haney said this is his biggest test, and if. Gamboa is your biggest test. I think you got to choose better fighters to fight. But 
a win against Gamboa for Devin Haney, it would prove nothing. He can't claim to be a top fighter just because he beat Gamboa. And I think this is a scheme to come at Tank Davis. I think he wants to, because Tank Davis, I believe Tank Davis knocked him out in like round 11 or 12. It was, I know it was super late into the fight. And I feel like if Devin Haney stops Gamboa quicker and in better fashion, he's going to start calling out Tink Davis, especially if Tink Davis loses against Leo Santa Cruz or even if he has just a bad performance in general. Devin Haney, he's going to beat Gamboa in better fashion, and he's, he's going to start calling out Javante Tink Davis every day, all day on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media. He's going to go to the press every day. He's going to start disrespecting Tank. He's not even going to call him Tank Davis. He's going to call him Mini Cooper Davis. You're not a Tank no more. You're a Mini Cooper Davis. The disrespect. But I would love to see a Devin Haney versus Javante Tank Davis fight. I will be up for it. And once again, do I need to say that Eddie Hearn, he still just talks too much. Stop talking to him. Stop interviewing him. He talks so much. I'm sick of seeing his face in boxing media every single goddamn day. I'm sick of his face, but I'm getting off that now. That's just something I have to throw in there. ESPN, switching topics now. ESPN, they have their own version of um, All Access. If you know, if you don't know what All Access is, All Access is something that I believe Showtime they was doing. Uh, where they basically follow the lives and training camps of boxers. And many other platforms have used that same model, which I think is great. I love all these type of shows. The Zone has one. HBO had one before they stopped doing boxing. Uh, ESPN, they have one now. PBC, Fox, they have one. And I love every single one of them. So ESPN have one. I think it's called... I think it's called Blood, Sweat, and Tears or Blood, Tears, and Sweat or something like that. And they basically do the same thing. They follow uh, a little behind the scenes of the fighters. And they had one episode so far. I think they're doing a second one. But they have one episode uh, for the Teofimo Lopez versus Lomachenko fight. And Teofimo Lopez said that this fight is very personal to him. I don't think this is the first time he said it. I believe he said it before. But I never really knew why it was so personal. Maybe Lomachenko stepped on his sneakers before. Maybe Lomachenko said that you suck. Maybe Lomachenko made fun of his father. Hey, maybe Lomachenko took his girlfriend a couple years ago. Who knows? I don't know. But this episode gave some clarity. Teofimo Lopez said that he met Lomachenko before. You know, a lot of boxes, they meet each other behind the scenes. Maybe they was at the same fight and they met uh, backstage or maybe they was just out and about in Vegas or in one of these big fight cities and they just met in the city somewhere. And Teofimo Lopez, he goes on to sort of describe how his encounter with Lomachenko was. He says Lomachenko had this sort of arrogant attitude about him like he's far superior than everyone else and he's better than everyone else. And I understand how people don't like when someone's that arrogant or when someone has that, like they're just exuding that energy that I'm better than you or I'm smarter than you. But for someone like Lomachenko, 
I think he has the right. Okay. Now hear hear me out first. Hear me out first. It's Lomachenko, the guy who had almost four hundred amateur wins and one loss. The guy who won two Olympic gold medals. The guy who in his first ten fights, I think had over five uh championship fights. And he had one loss, which was very controversial. But let's put that aside. But Lomachenko, who is the number one pound-for-pound guy, who, and I've seen a lot of boxers in my day. I did my history research. I went back and I watched fights from Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard and Robinson, Roy Jones and Floyd and all these stuff. I've never seen anyone as skilled and talented as Lomachenko in my life. I've just never seen anyone like this guy. I've never seen anyone with his specific skill set. He really is an artiste in the ring, and his footwork is literally the footwork of a dancer because he used to dance for years. And this guy, he has the right to be arrogant. He earned it. He put the hard work in. He accomplished a lot, so he has the right to have that arrogant attitude. And guess what? When, because I still think Lomachenko is going to win this fight, when Lomachenko beats you, now you can't even complain about the arrogant attitude. And you better apologize. Teofimo Lopez should apologize for calling Lomachenko arrogant. Should apologize for saying you're going to destroy him and obliterate him and you're going to bully him and you're going to cause him pain. You should apologize for every single thing that he said if he loses against Lomachenko. If I'm Lomachenko, I'm making him apologize. In person, on TV, ESPN, live in the post-fight interview, make him apologize. But, you know, that's what I'll do. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but... You know, that's what I'll do. Next news. This one, it's uh, this one. I, I sort of had a little mixed feelings about this next topic because Deontay Wilder, he finally splits with Mark Breland. If you don't recall, he actually uh, fired Mark Breland, I think, like a week or so after uh, his Tyson Fury rematch. But then he brought him back on. But now he splits with him basically again and this time it looks like it's for good now the reason why i was sort of uh undecided about this situation was because it was because i've always been an advocate for saying that fighters and boxers should work with different trainers and coaches so you can learn different tools to add to your arsenal he's been with mark Breland essentially his entire boxing career He's never really switched it up. He's never really had a change in pace in how he trained and how he fight and how he had training camp. So this would be his chance to work with someone new who could teach him different things and give him a different mindset going forward. But at the same time, I don't know how the split was behind the scenes. Maybe it was a mutual agreement between both parties. But Mark Breland, he's been the day one guy. You can't fire the day one guy. He's been there literally since day one. Since you wanted to be a professional boxer and fight so you could have money for your daughter, for your family. He's been there. 
He's taken you and literally made you a star. He made you a star. Yes, you had the athletic abilities and you had the the insanely thanus level type of power in your fist. But Mark Breland is the person who taught you how to connect that punch to someone's jaw. He taught you how to how to time your punch so you could knock out a Dominique Brazil and have the entire world going crazy screaming your name. Have Showtime paying you these millions and millions of dollars. He's the guy that brought you to that place. He's literally the day one guy. You don't split or get rid of the day one guy. And like I said, I don't know how it was behind the scenes. He could have, it could have been a mutual agreement between both parties. But still, it's the day one guy. You never split with the day one guy who held you down, who never even looked down on you. He always thought of you as you as this person bigger than life because Wilder, he is bigger than life. Wilder is bigger. He's bigger than just boxing. He is. He's. He has that type of persona about him that he's more than just a boxing star. He's just a great person all around. And Mark Breland, he brings that out of you. So you don't split and leave with that guy. You don't fire that guy, man. You you keep that guy around for as long as you possibly can. You keep him for as long as you possibly can. That's why I'm sort of undecided about this situation. And yes, do I want him to work with a different trainer, a different coach? Yes, of course. But maybe you could work with a different trainer and still have Mark Breland in your corner. You could still have Mark Breland who could like keep you humble and and sort of tamed as you work with a new coach and new trainer. You ain't got to let the guy go, man. Uh, don't get your hopes up just yet because Mark Breland, he's going to be all right. What he did with Wilder, he could do it with another boxer because a lot of trainers, they're not a one-dimensional trainer. They train... Uh, their fighters to their certain strength and assets. And obviously, Wilder, his strength is his power. But if you give Mark Breland a, someone who has, like, uh, like if footwork is their strength or defense, he could adjust and work with them. So I think he's going to he's gonna be all right. I think he's going to be all right. I think he's going to have some other heavyweight fighters that's going to come and want to train with him. Uh, maybe even some middleweight or light heavyweight. Hey, maybe even a welterweight or a light welterweight or a lightweight or a bantamweight. He's going to have some people that's going to come knocking on his door saying, train me. That's all I'm saying. And he would be more than happy to train them and teach him his ways. Now, the last one is one I am actually very, very excited about. I really am just so tired right now, but... This last one is going to get me excited. It's going to get my blood flowing a little bit. Terrence Crawford versus Kell Brook. Yes. Yes. I've been waiting for the day where Terrence Crawford has a formidable foe in front of him. Has he had good fights? Yes. Has he had fights against people who are good, who gave him, you know, a little trouble here and there? Yes. Like I said, him versus Gamboa. Gamboa, you know, gave him a little trouble here and there, but he, he overcame it. Uh, who else? What was that guy's name? Uh, 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 
uh, what's that guy's name? What's David Benavidez's brother? Is it Jose Benavidez? Yeah, Jose Benavidez. You know, gave Terrence Crawford, you know, a little, little trouble, but he overcame it. Even that last guy, um, Cavalasquez, he gave Terrence Crawford a little trouble, but he overcame it. But now, now you're standing in front of a legit former champion who's been in big, big fights. He fought Triple G. Even though he got knocked out, he was outboxing Triple G, which Triple G is a really great boxer. But Kel Brook was, he's naturally the smaller guy, so it could, that's a whole different story. But then he also fought Errol Spence, and he gave Errol Spence a hell of a fight. It was, I think, in the first half of that fight, I even had Kel Brook winning that fight. I think he was actually winning that fight until the power of Earl Spence was just too much for him. And, um, you know, his broken eye socket was bothering him again. But up until that point, I think he was beating Earl Spence. And that that was a war. So you have this guy in Kelbrook who's experienced. You know, he he's kind of tough. He has the boxing ability to actually match you. I'm not too iffy. You know, I'm... I'm a little iffy on his power. I don't. He did knock out his last guy, but eh, he, he was a little journeyman. You don't get no credit for knocking out journeyman, right? He didn't knock out anyone of significance or even hurt someone of significance. So I'm not going to say he has crazy power, but he definitely has the boxing ability. And Terrence Crawford, you are in for a war. And this is going the distance. This is going the distance. Now, I will have to premise that uh, Kell Brook, he is not the same fighter he was four years ago. I think something in him really changed when he lost to to Triple G and Errol Spence. He he became a little more cautious, and he was he's not the same. I don't want to say aggressive because he was never really aggressive, like an aggressive aggressive fighter. But he's more conservative with his fighting style. I'll say that. So he's not, he has less moments where he puts the pedal to the metal and he just comes at you. He has less moments like that because he's had injuries where he contemplated retirement because it was so severe and he doesn't want that to happen again. I get it. I understand it. But against Terrence Crawford, nope. That mindset has to go out the window. Because Terrence Crawford, he is a mean dog inside the ring. He's a mean. He he's literally a mean dog inside the ring. Once he he smells the blood in you, he's coming after you, and he's not gonna stop. And you gotta do something to to either a get him off you, or you gotta match his dog with your own dog, and you gotta see him toe to toe. And Terrence Crawford is so skilled. And he switches um, from Southpaw to Orthodox that I don't think anyone could really match him toe-to-toe in the ring. I don't know if anyone can. You could probably try. Some people will, will might have success, but you would have to sustain it and make adjustments throughout the entire 12 rounds. And Terrence Crawford makes so many slight adjustments throughout the fight that most people won't, won't even catch it. So I don't know if Kelvin can stand toe-to-toe, 
but he's somehow somewhere he's gonna have to match Terrence Crawford's mean dog inside him he's gonna have to match that in some way or he's gonna have to find a way to get Terrence Crawford off of him to just get him off him which I don't think he has the power for but we'll see we've actually seen Terrence Crawford's chin be tested um, him getting dropped against Kavalas, that was a, le- a legit knockdown. It was legit. The ref didn't call it. He made a mistake. But it was legit. He got knocked down. So we see, oh, he could get hurt. He could get stunned. He could get dazed. You could land a good, clean, hard shot. And he would think twice about coming in. Now, what is the importance of this fight after? This is obviously just a... Well, I think one is I think one is mostly because uh, some people at welterweight still feel that Terence Crawford needs a signature win in his career, uh, which I think does he really have a signature win? Um, I don't really think he has a well to me. I don't think he has a signature win, but sometimes you don't need a signature win for me to see the greatness in you. You don't really need one for me to see the greatness in you. No. For other people, it's different. Other people, they view boxing different. They view fighters different. But for me, if I just see that you're putting on a great performance and you have something special about you, I can see it in you. You don't need a signature win. But this fight is also a way to compare, to create a comparison, a Venn diagram between Terrence Crawford and Earl Spence. Like I said, Earl Spence fought Kell Brook. Kell Brook was winning more rounds early on in the fight, in the first half of the fight. But then Earl Spence, he applied the pressure to him, got to him, got the TKO. If Terrence Crawford could beat Kell Brook in better fashion and quicker and not lose as many rounds as Earl Spence, then that's how we can we can have a better measurement of who's better between Terrence Crawford and Earl Spence instead of just a bunch of speculation. Because both are fantastic fighters, fantastic in their own right. They're different fighters, right? But we don't really have anything to compare them to. There's nothing that we can use to compare them because they had different paths in their life, in their boxing life, and in their boxing career. So Terrence Crawford fighting Kell Brook, this would be a way for us to compare and really see who's better. And maybe... We can finally get the Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence fight because I need the fight and I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting. I'm sick and tired of it. I don't want to wait no more. I don't. That's this episode. Floyd Podcast. Signing out. And stop talking about Eddie Hearn. You were just listening to the Floyd Podcast hosted by Marquise Ross. Stay tuned for the next episode or go back and listen to the previous episodes if you haven't done so.